This morning's scripture reading comes from Matthew 18, verses 15 through 19. If your brother or sister sins, go and point out their fault, just between the two of you. If they listen to you, you have won them over. But if they will not listen, take one or two others along, so that every matter may be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. If they still refuse to listen, tell it to the church. And if they refuse to listen even to the church, treat them as you would a pagan or a tax collector. Truly I tell you, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Again, truly I tell you, that if two of you on earth agree about anything they ask for, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. This is the word of the Lord for us. Good morning, church. What a joy it is to be together this morning. I want to begin with sharing a story ripped from the headlines. It, it's true, but it's almost too good uh, to be true. Uh, it's sort of a real-life Tom and Jerry situation. So again, real, real story where a mouse burned down someone's house. You want to hear about this? So this was in all the, all the major news media. I happened to uh, bring the article that came from the LA Times article, which says this. A mouse got its revenge against a homeowner who tried to dispose of it in a pile of burning leaves. The blazing creature ran back to the man's house and set it on fire. <laughs> this was an 81-year-old guy who captures the mouse inside his house, and he wants to get rid of it. So here's the quote. He says, I had some leaves burning outside, so I threw it in the fire, and the mouse was on fire and ran back in the house. <laughs> the fire chief, Juan Chavez, said that no one was hurt, but the home was destroyed. <laughs> this is like the ultimate revenge. Like, this critter says, you're going to try to get rid of me, I'm going to burn your house down. Um, and really, I think that's the spirit that we are tempted to have when someone tries to cause us harm. There's this little mouse that was able to create such havoc and destruction. I think we're tempted to have that same spirit that says, if you're trying to harm me, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to burn your house down. I'm going to get revenge. I'm going to get even. I'm going to take that personal. <laughs> uh, I was at a uh, soccer game recently, and there was a heckler who was in the crowd. And the heckler was... Mostly heckling the players, but also heckling the referee. And it was like the whole crowd was laughing. It was just this really comical scene. And one of the phrases that this guy kept using uh, for, for the referee was, I took that personal! <laughs> he took it personal every time there was a bad call. It was, it was really funny. But I think we do the same thing. We, we take things personally. And you really don't have to look very far in our culture to see people who are taking things personally, who are offended, who are upset. We, really, we live in an age of perpetual offense. We're constantly being offended. We are quick to be upset. We are quick to call foul, quick to judge, and yes, quick to become bitter. But here's what the Bible says. Proverbs 19, 11. A person's wisdom yields patience. And then it says, it is to one's glory to overlook an offense. The reality is there are times when you get attacked. There are times where you are mistreated, where you're persecuted, you're mocked, you're slandered. Like there are times where someone yells at you. They raise their voice, they lose their cool, they shout at you. 
There are times where people lie to you. They mislead you, tell you things that aren't true. Maybe even worse or more hurtful is there are times where people lie about you. They tell other things to other people about you that are not true. There are times where people fail to come through. They say they're going to do it, but they don't do it. And so we have a choice to make, don't we? We can act like the culture around us that is offended, that's hurt, or we can look at the scriptures and say, the Bible tells me to stay the course, to overlook that, to let it go. Like, the Lord has more important things for me than to dwell on those hurtful things. The Lord has more important things for me to do. Like, there is a mission for me, and I'm going to give my time and my attention, and my energy to that. And so I want to suggest to you and I this morning that in most of those cases, the right thing to do, the biblical thing to do, the thing that the Lord would have us do is to overlook it, to let it go, to take it to the Lord, and to leave it, and to say, I'm on mission. I don't have time for these squabbles. I don't have time for for all of these hurt feelings. I'm going to overlook it. I think in doing that, we also recognize that the Lord softens our heart and helps us have compassion. Because if we're really honest, we're on not just the receiving end of those things, but sometimes we're the ones who do those things. I did not get an amen on that one. If we're really honest this morning, and I think we should be, we would recognize, you know what, sometimes I lose my cool. You know what, sometimes I say, I'm going to do something, and then I don't come through. I'm the one who hurts other people's feelings. So when we choose to overlook the offense, to let it go, to just give it to God and say, i got more important things to do, we're also softening our hearts in compassion to say, how thankful I am when you do that for me. Yeah, I, I messed up, and you didn't. You didn't freak out about it. We all have bad days. We're all walking through challenges and struggles. We all have times where we say the wrong thing, where we do the wrong thing, where we get impatient. And isn't it nice when others respond to our ugliness with grace? But we talked about this a few weeks ago, and I want to mention it again here, that that we have this sort of propensity or bias toward attributing our own behavior to our circumstances, but attributing the actions or behaviors of others to their character. So let me say that again. (laughs) Um, Actually, I I looked this up. This is known as the fundamental attribution error. The fundamental attribution error says it's the tendency to attribute our own behavior to our circumstances while attributing someone else's actions to their character. So, in other words, like if I do something that disappoints you, then there's a reason. (laughs) Come on, man, give me a break. I had a lot going on. I was really stressed. Here are the reasons and the circumstances. Like, you know my heart. I didn't mean it. When, When I fall short, it's like, give me a break. I had all this other stuff going on. You, you know me. And you know that's not what I meant. You know that I, I, I didn't want to hurt you or let you down. But when you do it to me, 
It's not, what were your circumstances? What else was going on in your life? It's, you're just a jerk. Right? It, it's not circumstances. When, when I do it, it's circumstances. When you do it, it's character. Well, she is just really rude. Well, they're just very inconsiderate. They're just not very kind. But you see, it's when we go to that place, those accusations of the character of others, that destruction happens. Divisiveness. It's, it's those sort of accusations that destroy relationships, that split marriages, that cause strife and struggle and division in the church. And so I want, I want to begin this morning. We are going to talk about reconciling wrongs. We are going to talk about how there are times where you go to one another in love to make things right. But it's important for us to recognize that it's God honoring for us to overlook an offense. It's God honoring and it's biblical wisdom to overlook an offense. Now, I'm not suggesting that we pretend that nothing happened. I'm not suggesting that we just... You know, the overlooking an offense is just like, I'm just going to be silent and quiet about it. I'm just going to harbor it, you know, stuff it inside. Like, th this choice to overlook an offense is an intentional and conscious decision. So we make, we make this decision. Like, I, I would say this. Overlooking an offense is a form of forgiveness. So it's important that we categorize it that way. This is forgiveness. It's I'm not going to carry this. I'm not going to let this impact the way I treat the person. It's a choice to, I'm going to stay above this offense. I'm going to stay above the bitterness. I'm going to stay above the, gr the grudge. And it happens really quickly where some, the thing goes down and you say, I'm going to choose to overlook this. I've got more important things to do. I'm going to let it go. So here's what Paul says to the young Timothy, 2 Timothy chapter 2. He says, don't have anything to do with foolish and stupid arguments because they produce quarrels. And the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but must be kind to everyone, able to teach, not resentful. So this is what I'm talking about. It's not that you pretend that the thing never happened. It's that you choose forgiveness and you say, I forgive, I've given it to God, I'm overlooking that offense, and I'm going to move on, because I have more important things to do. I'm not going to allow a root of bitterness to grow up in my heart and life. So, I mean, these are the times where you know the event is happening, but you don't get an invitation. And you're miffed, and you're hurt. You expected it. But it didn't come. And so you begin to wonder, well, why is it that I didn't get invited? What message are they trying to send? Why did they hate me? You stop and you say, I'm going to overlook this. Yeah, that, that stung. And I might not understand it, but you know what? They've got a lot going on and I've got other things to do, more important things to do than to carry this. So I'm going to overlook that offense. I'm going to forgive. That's the kind of thing I'm talking about. Or even someone makes a backhanded comment. And you're like, well, what did they mean by that? And maybe you're the kind of person who tends to maul those things over. And you're like, they said this. These were the words they used. And you're just kind of analyzing it. And you're overanalyzing it. And you're wondering, what was behind that? And why would they say such a thing? 
You overlook the offense. You let it go. You give it to God. And I'm not suggesting this is easy to do. I'm suggesting it's the right thing to do. When someone shushes one of your children, and you think, well, I think that was out of bounds. Well, I think that was inappropriate. Well, I'm going to consider going to that person. And you say, no, I got more important things to do. God has a mission for me and for my life. And so, yeah, maybe in my heart of hearts I think, yeah, I don't think that was the right thing to do. I'm going to forgive that, and I'm going to move on. I'm going to step into all that God has for me today. I'm going to look at the scripture that says, don't have anything to do with foolish arguments. And say, yeah, that's really not worth quarreling over. I'm not going to allow something like that to distract me from what God has for me. And so I want to make this really clear this morning as we get started, that when we are hurt, when we are offended, when we are miffed, we can always take it to God. We can always take those things to the Lord. He wants to know when we're offended, when we're hurt, when someone has mistreated us. Take it to the Lord. Share with him your hurt. And we can always choose forgiveness. Whether we address it with the person and hash it out and talk it over, whether we try to do that and it blows up and it's this whole thing that gets out of hand, we can always choose forgiveness. Now, having said that, there are times where we are called to go to one another in love to reconcile, to reconcile wrong. There are times when I have sinned against you that it's appropriate for you to come to me and to, to confront me with that, to address it, and work toward reconciliation today. That's what Matthew chapter 18 teaches us. That's where Steph read for us today. That's what, that's what the teaching of Christ is there. That's what we're going to talk about this morning. So let me introduce myself. I'm John. Thrilled that you're with us this morning. I'm praying that through our time together, your heart and home grow stronger in the Lord. We're doing a sermon series this fall called Sorry, Learning How to Forgive. What good news that God has forgiven us. And he then calls us to extend forgiveness to others. So, let me ask this question. How do you know when to overlook an offense, as we've just discussed, versus when to address it? How do you know when to say, I'm going to let it go, I've got more important things to do. I'm not going to, I'm not going to get into foolish arguments, versus... This is something that I need to address. This is something that we have to discuss and talk through together. Because there are, again, there are times where the scripture indicates this. Someone sins against us, and the Bible calls us to work together to reconcile. For starters, you need to get really, 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 really clear on if this is a sin issue or not. Okay? Because we're not going to go to one another... We're not going to call one another to task over something that's a preference, over something that's like, well, I would rather you do it this way. We're, we're going to get really clear on, does the Bible indicate that this is indeed sin? Has this individual sinned against me? Now, I, I'll say this too. There's a time and a place for talking about preference, especially when you're working as part of a family or a team. Like you, you talk through the best practice and the best methods. But you don't go to someone confronting them with, you've done me wrong, when it's really not a sin issue. So that's the first thing in determining, overlooking an offense. We've got to get really clear on, no, no, this is sin. This is wrong. This, is, this person has committed a sin 
that's going to damage not only their relationships with other people, it's damaging their relationship with God because the wages of sin is death. So that's the first thing is you get really, really clear on the fact that it's sin. And then you choose to do it not because you want to be heard, not because you want to settle the score, not because you want to be the little mouse burning and running back into the man's house to get revenge. You do it for the benefit of the other person. You do it because you care about them. Because you want to see them restored in their relationships to other and restored in their relationship to God. And so you know that that sin that they've done, it needs to be confessed before God. Remember the prophet Nathan last week going to David to confront him with his sin. That sin needed to be confessed. And God used his friend to speak into his life. So when we choose to do it, we don't choose to do it because I'm going to get revenge. We choose to do it because I want to restore this person in their walk with Christ and in their relationship with others. And so when that's the case, when you decide, okay, this is not one to just overlook. This is one that, boy, I, I really don't want her to be unaware of her sin. And I really don't want there to be anything between us. And so I want to go and I want to address it. I want to work together toward reconciliation. And in those cases, this is really simple. Follow me on this. You go and talk to that person. Oh, church, if only we could get this part right. (laughs) If only we could get this, this first part right of you go to that other person and you discuss it with that person. See, you've, you've prayed about it. You've brought it to the Lord. And you've already decided to forgive. So you've prayed, you've decided that you're going to forgive, and now it's time to talk it out. So open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 18. That's where we're going to be this morning. And really what I see here, that I, what I'd like to do with the rest of our time together is, as we get into Matthew 18 is share three keys to reconciling wrongs that Jesus teaches us here. Three keys, three steps to reconciling wrongs. In fact, why don't I just give them to you right here up front? And then we'll talk about each of them. So the first is to go to the person. Again, this is really simple. (laughs) It's what Jesus teaches us to do. So step one is go to the person. Step two is grant forgiveness. And step three is guard against bitterness. When we need to reconcile wrong, we, number one, go to the person. Not your cousin, not your brother, not their boss, not your neighbor, not social media. Who do you go to? You go to the person. You you go to the person to sort it out. You go bathed in prayer. You go considerate of time and place. Like when you can sit down, when you can discuss. Not passing them in the hallway, not over the phone. And so we see, here's what Jesus teaches us. Matthew chapter 18. Starting in verse 15. If your brother or sister sins. And that specifically means sins against you. And depending on what Bible English translation you have, it may even say sins against you. Go and point out their fault just between the two of you. Just between who? 
I think we're starting to get it. Just between the two of you. That's step one, Jesus says. You, you go to the person. You discuss it just between the two of you. It says, Jesus says, if they listen to you, you've won them over. You enjoy restored relationship. The wrong has been reconciled. But he makes allowance for hiccups to happen. So we'll continue on there, verse 16. But if they will not listen, then take one or two others along so that every matter may be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. That's an old, old, old Testament law from Deuteronomy. If they respond well there, relationship restored. But continuing on, it might not go well. Jesus says in verse 17, if they still refuse to listen, tell it to the church. And if they refuse to listen even to the church, treat them as you would a pagan or a tax collector. Again, this is really kind of a four-step plan of action. Not necessarily needing all four steps, but just in case you need them. Step one, go talk to them. Enjoy restored relationship. Step two, only necessary if it didn't go well. Only necessary if it didn't go well. You meet up again. And this time you bring along one or two other people. Like maybe there was a misunderstanding. The person didn't really understand. Maybe they responded with defensiveness. So you schedule another time to sit down and talk. You, you make it clear you're going to bring along a few others. You discuss it again. If it goes well, you enjoy restored relationship. Step three only happens if that one gets sort of botched up. <laughs> like... That didn't go well. That didn't work out. And so this step is, I'm going to go to the church leaders. I'm going to go to the elder board. I'm going to explain to them what's going on. I did step one. I did step two. Can you please help? And the elder board at that point, they're going to fast. They're going to pray. They're going to seek the Lord. And they are going to do their absolute best with God's help to mediate. To say, okay. We need to understand what's happening, and we need to walk through this together with the goal of reconciliation. And if they are successful, you enjoy restored relationship. <laughs> Step four is only necessary if that doesn't work. If even after those three steps have happened, there's still hurt, there's still misunderstanding, there's maybe defensiveness, there's a person who has not recognized their sin, there's not a sense of conviction or contrition or confession that we talked about last week. And so step four, it's, uh, it's setting a clear boundary. Step, step four is you treat them as if they were a pagan. Now, church, how do we treat pagans? We love them. We pursue them. We pray for them. We share with them the life-changing power of Jesus. Right? This is how we treat pagans. We love them. We pursue them. We care for them. And so, when you take this step with an individual, you're not giving up on them. You're not saying away with you. You're not saying be condemned. You're saying, I'm setting a clear boundary. At this point, I'm recognizing you and I are not in fellowship with one another. We're not on mission together. We're not brother or sister in Christ living in community, caring for one another, pursuing Christ together, living on mission together. Because here's the thing, your mission, follower of Jesus, is to bring glory to God and to be transformed even more into the likeness of Jesus. That's your mission. But theirs is clearly something else. They're, they're hung up on their pride. And, and hopefully the Lord would open our eyes even to recognize 
This individual is most likely, in a lot of cases, carrying a hurt that they are unwilling to forgive. So, in kind of bizarro fashion, it's like maybe you actually did something that was inconsiderate, that was hurtful to them. But they were unwilling to follow Jesus' Matthew 18 principle here to go to you to discuss it. And they're carrying this sort of bitterness and hardness of heart toward you. <laughs> it may have actually started with you. They're not willing to follow this biblical command that says, go to the person. And it's not that people don't want to reconcile wrongs. I think everyone would agree to, yeah, I want that. I want healthy relationships. I think it's that for many people, they just don't know how. They just don't know how. And people are tempted to do it in all the wrong ways. Like, maybe even during prayer time. Right, let's go ahead. Uh, we laugh at how silly that is. And yet, we do the same thing when we don't follow what the Bible tells us to do. When we're not willing to do what Jesus says to do here. To go to the person. To go to the person. And when, when we don't do that, listen, th what that means is we don't unite. And you know what the Bible says about that, that a house divided cannot stand. We don't unite with one another. We're not as effective in God's kingdom. So let, let's continue on here because Jesus touches on that in the next verses, starting in verse 18. We're in Matthew chapter 18. Truly I tell you, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. He's saying your spiritual effectiveness hangs on. Are you willing to reconcile with one another, be restored to one another, be unified together? Again, truly I tell you, if two or three of you on earth agree about anything they ask for, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. And then verse 20, for where two or three gather in my name, there I am with them. There is power in unity. There is power, spiritual power, the presence of Christ when we reconcile wrongs, when we confess sin to one another, offering forgiveness. It is a sacred place of accountability and community. Jesus calls us to reconciliation. Jesus said, the scriptures say he has given us this ministry of reconciliation. Jesus is present in a very special way, in a very powerful way. 
So we go to the person. The next step, the next key in reconciling wrongs is to grant forgiveness. Let me just put this really bluntly for us this morning. Forgiveness is not a suggestion. Forgiveness is not a suggestion. Time and time and time again, we are commanded, we are called with clear directive to forgive. So in this uh, passage, in Matthew chapter 18, Peter wants to know of Jesus, like, how many times am I required to forgive? In Jewish culture, the, the understanding and the practice would have been sort of a three strikes and you're out mentality. Some of, I've talked with people who have kind of the same thing. I've talked with people who have a one strike and you're out mentality. But for them, it was often three strikes. So you forgive three times beyond that, you're not required to think. So he thinks, hey, maybe I should even forgive as a follower of Jesus seven times. So going on then to verse 21, we're in Matthew chapter 18. Peter came to Jesus and asked, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me? Up to seven times? And Jesus answered, I tell you not seven times, but 77 times. Depending on your translation, it may say 70 times seven. We're not really sure exactly the best way to translate that, but we are pretty clear on the understanding and the significance of that. Like seven is the number of completion. Seven is the number of perfection. Jesus is saying, you forgive and you keep on forgiving. Over and over and over. So if the question is ever, should I forgive? The answer is always yes. If the question is ever, should I forgive? There is an answer from Jesus right here in Matthew chapter 18, verse 22. The answer is yes. And you forgive as the Lord has forgiven you. I do think there needs to be a a very important caveat here. And that is to say that forgiveness does not negate consequence. So I want to be clear on this, that that there are extreme cases. So we're talking about uh, abuse. We're talking about like physical bodily harm to another person or to a child. And so forgiveness does not negate consequence. It doesn't mean that every person should stay in any situation, even if it is disastrous, even if they're being hurt, even if they're being abused. I'm not suggesting that someone would stay in an abusive situation because of the teaching of Jesus on forgiveness. I want to be really clear on that, that that you can, let's, let's say it this way. You can choose to forgive and you can pursue justice. Right? You can do both of those things. You choose to forgive, but you can also choose to pursue justice. So it's like, like in the case of criminal activity, it is absolutely appropriate. If someone is trying to harm you, it's absolutely biblical and appropriate to have boundaries, to have safeguards in place. And this is even when the, the perpetrator, the one who has done wrong, even in cases where that individual is repentant. In, in cases where they are sorry for what they've done and they've been forgiven, there are still consequences. So I want to be really clear on that. Like God does not take sin lightly. And God oftentimes lovingly disciplines us for our wrongs. Even forgiven sins. Forgiven sins. Forgiveness does not negate consequence. So we choose forgiveness. Yes. 
but we also recognize God's path of restoration, and that often includes justice, especially when we're talking about victims who need someone to give a voice for them, victims who need protection. So I want to be really clear as we talk about forgiveness, that it doesn't mean you are going to stay in that abusive situation. You're going to stay in that dangerous situation because of what Jesus says. No, you choose forgiveness and it is appropriate and right and biblical to pursue justice. So continuing on with our study here in Matthew chapter 18, the next part is where Jesus tells this parable, and it's, it's the parable of the unmerciful servant. Uh, in fact, let's, let's go ahead and take a few minutes and read through that together this morning. So Matthew chapter 18, starting in verse 23. I'm reading from the NIV. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. As he began the settlement, a man who owed him 10,000 bags of gold was brought to him. Since he was not able to pay, the master ordered that he and his wife and his children and all that he had be sold to repay the debt. And at this time, the servant fell on his knees before him. Be patient with me, he begged. I'll pay back everything. And the servant's master took pity on him canceled the debt and let him go. But when that servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred silver coins. He grabbed him and began to choke him. Pay back what you owe me, he demanded. His fellow servant fell to his knees and he begged him, be patient with me, I'll pay it back. But he refused. Instead, he went off and had the man thrown in prison until he could pay the debt. And when the other servants saw what had happened, they were outraged. They went and told their master everything that had happened. And then the master called the servant in. You wicked servant, he said. I canceled all that debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? In his anger, his master handed him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay back all he owed. And then Jesus says this in verse 35. This is how my heavenly father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother or sister from your heart. It's a fantastic parable, but it's hard and it's sobering. And we can view it as a story. And Jesus is the master storyteller. He tells stories that draw you in and that interest you and that teach you. And then all of a sudden it's like, oh, wait a minute, I'm in that story. Right, So he, he gives us this story. There's a guy who owed a bunch of debt and he was unwilling to forgive his friend who owed him a small amount, even though he'd been forgiven of a large amount. How ridiculous. How silly. We can all see that. How silly, how foolish, how wrong. He demands payment when he, his debt was so graciously canceled. And if you look closely at this, you see the king in the story seems shocked. Seems disappointed. He gets angry. Just like he expected or he hoped that this man would be merciful to others. He expected that he would, uh, would go out like living in this way that was really kind and compassionate and caring to those around him. Instead of spreading kindness and cheer. The guy is cruel. He has no mercy. So as we just talked about... There are consequences. There are consequences when we do wrong. And so what happens is the king throws him in jail 
and hoists the debt back on his shoulders. And it's a debt he can never repay. And how's he going to repay it if he's in jail anyway? So let me say this again. Forgiveness is not a suggestion. It is a clear command from Christ to his followers. So we're talking about keys to reconciling wrongs. We go to the person, we grant forgiveness. And the third step is to guard against bitterness. We've got to be vigilant about this step, friends. Because there are times where you've gone to the person and you've granted forgiveness, but that just, that bitterness starts to pop up. Those thoughts begin to creep in. And really the easiest way for bitterness to creep in is when we haven't fully forgiven. It's those times where we've sort of gone through the motions. It's like, we've said, I forgive you. The person has said, I'm sorry. We've sort of played nice. Or, or maybe you've told yourself, I'm overlooking that offense. Right? Maybe, maybe you, you've deemed this as, this is not a go to my brother, Matthew chapter 18 scenario. This is an overlook the offense, Proverbs 19. But you've tried to fool yourself. You've said, I've, I've, I've let it go. I've given it to God. But really, you haven't. You haven't truly forgiven. Those are the times where bitterness begins to sort of pop up and you, you are still carrying some hurt, some wound. If you want a test, by the way, to determine if, uh, if I have indeed forgiven, then you just simply answer this question. When that person comes to your mind, do you still mull over the wrong things they've done? If you do, then you haven't fully forgiven. And I'm not saying you forget what has happened again, especially in extreme cases. You don't, you, you, you don't uh, inappropriately put, put someone, restore someone back in positions of power or authority, anything like that. But when you think of the person and all you do is think of their wrongs and you mull it over, you're probably still holding on to it. So let's jump to Hebrews chapter 12. Because there, there is a directive here. a warning and an encouragement that we need to be vigilant in guarding against bitterness. Verses 14 and 15. The author says, Make every effort to live in peace with everyone and to be holy. Without holiness, no one will see the Lord. See to it that no one falls short of the grace of God. And that no bitter root grows up to cause trouble and defile many. Unforgiveness, bitterness, it's been said many, many, many times, is like a poison. The person that hurts the worst is you. I would say it this way. Well, this is Jesus. This isn't me. <laughs> Unforgiveness is like a prison. Think about this parable of the unmerciful servant and what happens to the man who wouldn't forgive. He's in jail. He's behind bars. He's trapped because he refused to forgive. I brought a quote from uh, an author, Gregory Popchak, this morning, who says it this way. Bitterness is unforgiveness fermented. It's that unforgiveness that festers, that spoils, that sours. That ferments. And so let me just encourage each and every one of us this morning. Don't allow bitterness to take root in your heart. 
Don't, don't allow that unforgiveness, that thing you've, you've said, yeah, I overlooked that, but you really didn't. Or you were called to the Matthew 18 principle, and you didn't do it. You didn't go to the person. You did everything else. You told 22 other people. But you didn't go to the person being considerate of time and place in, in a manner where you could sit down and talk it over. Because you didn't love that person enough to say, I want them restored in relationship. I want them forgiven of sins. And again, that's humbling and that's sobering for each and every one of us. Why? Because we all stand in need of forgiveness. We've all done wrong. Like sin is indeed this debt that we cannot pay. And yes, God's justice demands a payment for our wrongs. The reality is, again, thinking about this parable Jesus tells of the unmerciful servant, that's the fate of each and every one of us. It's to be cast into that debtor's prison because there's a debt we can't pay. Ah, but the debt has been paid by Jesus, by his death on the cross. So salvation is a free gift, but it wasn't free to Christ. It wasn't free to the Lord. He is the one who paid. You know, it's been said that grace is God's riches at Christ's expense. That acronym, grace. God's riches at Christ's expense. It cost Jesus. He paid the debt. In his goodness, the Lord has chosen to forgive you. What good news. And when that unmerciful servant was forgiven of his debt, he was elated and he was happy. And it's almost as if the king expected him to go out spreading that good news of cheer and forgiveness and restoration. And that's what he expects of us. So when someone sins against you, he calls you to have that heart of forgiveness. Go to the person. Grant forgiveness. Guard against bitterness. Because there is peace on the other side of forgiveness. There is freedom on the other side of forgiveness. And only because of Christ, who has reconciled us back to God, we can be reconciled to one another. Forgiving just as we have been forgiven. Let's pray together. Lord God, we are humbled in your presence this morning. We are convicted by your word. Lord Jesus, your truth, the word of God, it is sharper than any double-edged sword. And so we allow you, Lord, to have your way with us this morning. We allow your conviction to come over us, that we would turn to you, seeking your wisdom, seeking the path to reconciliation only because of you. And so, God, we would simply pray, help us in the places where we're broken. Give us courage. Give us faith that we would walk in obedience to what you have called us to do. And Lord, you've called us to it, but you've also demonstrated it for us. 
that you've so loved us that you sent your one and only son. So we do choose today to believe in him with the hope of eternal life because of Jesus. So Lord, we bless you and we thank you. We pray it in Jesus' precious name. Amen.